We are in Acts chapter 27, and we will finish the book of Acts today. Amen. It's been a long journey. I've entitled this message, Overcoming Spiritual Shipwreck. Have you ever felt like things were going from bad to worse? I won't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> in Paul's journey to Rome, he not only encountered a storm, but as we see in our text today, he will encounter a shipwreck as well. On the surface, in Paul's case, things appeared to be out of control, but unseen and underneath the surface, God is well in control. And so it is with our lives as well. I've divided our study today into two parts. First, we will look at chapter 27, verse 39, where we left off a couple of weeks ago. and We'll go to chapter 28, verse 11. And there we find in those verses what I call five steps essential to overcoming a spiritual shipwreck. The second part of our study, we will look at chapter 28, verse 12, to the end of the chapter, which deals with Paul's safe arrival to Rome, just like Jesus promised Paul. Remember back in chapter 23, verse 11, Paul was distraught and upset and probably depressed, and Jesus appeared to him and said, Paul, you're going to make it to Rome. And I think the Lord is saying to us today, hey, you're going to make it home. Amen? It's going to be all right. The storm that we saw in our text a couple of weeks ago was driving the ship toward land. So we pick it up here at verse 39, Acts chapter 27, read along with me. We'll read down to verse 44. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the sail, the mainsail, to the wind and made for shore. Verse 41, but striking a place where two seas meet, they were being uh, seas uh, coming up against the ship on both sides. Where two seas met, rather, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Now, I want to thank you for your patience with me a couple of weeks ago because I, I said that the stern was the front of the ship and you were so gracious and no one said anything and, and a gentleman came up to me after the service and said, Pastor Al, I think the stern is the rear of the ship. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Shows you how much I know. So the stern is the rear of the ship and it was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Verse 42, and the soldier's, plan, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, the centurion who was in charge of the prisoners, Julius, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Amen. 
Note that the prisoners who were under the penalty of death were saved because of God's favor upon the Apostle Paul. I think there's a great lesson there for us that God has placed you and I in our position in life whether it's your marriage or your job or school or what have you, and a lot of times in those positions we find ourselves complaining. But the Lord has placed us in those positions to be a benefit to those languishing away under the penalty of death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? And God has placed you there to be a ministry, to place his favor upon you, to be a blessing to those who are around you. A lot of times people will say, well, I don't know what my ministry is. You know, God hasn't shown me what my ministry is. Every believer has a ministry. And that ministry is given to us by God. And Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, when he said, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of healing, the ministry of bringing people together, the ministry of leading people to Christ that they might be reconciled to God. That is your ministry. And far too often, I think Christians in the body of Christ think the ministry is to divide. Not to bring people together, but to divide. But God has entrusted to us the good news of the gospel that we might engage in the ministry, every believer, in the ministry of reconciliation. You ought to be a part of the healing on your job. You ought to be a part of the healing in that dispute, that relationship. You ought to be a part of the healing in your marriage. Amen. Because God has given to you the ministry of reconciliation. You have a ministry. In verses 40 to 44, here we find, there we find rather, five essential steps or number two or two of the five essential steps in overcoming a spiritual storm or spiritual shipwreck. Uh, that I mentioned earlier, two essential steps. I call them steps in overcoming spiritual shipwreck. What is the first step? The first step can be found in verse 40, and that is surrender. They had to surrender the ship. And there's three ways in which they surrendered the ship, and three ways that we can apply this to our lives also spiritually. A is that they refused to stay in a rut. They could have just held on with the anchors there and in place and, and allowed the, the waves to break up the ship and just stay there, but they refused to stay in a rut. And the Bible tells us that they let go. That is, in, our, in, in a spiritual sense, they repented of the anchors that had immobilized the movement. And in our case, the anchors that immobilized our faith. And what are some of the anchors that immobilize our faith? Well, false securities can be one. Fear can be another. And unbelief, a third. Those anchors need to be cut away. So that's in, in surrendering, number one, it means to refuse to stay in a rut, to surrender to the Lord. Secondly, it can mean be, it can mean under surrender, it can mean lose the rudder. Loose the rudder. Let go of the rudder. What is the rudder? The rudder guided the ship. They had, they had to loose the ropes on the rudder and get rid of that. And how does that translate to in our lives spiritually in regards to surrender? It simply means give the Spirit of God control of your life. 
Give the spirit of God control because as long as we have a, our own little rudder, we think we are the captain of our ship. But the reality is when you truly surrender to God, you realize that I'm not the captain of my own ship. I'm surrendered to him. So A, a way to surrender is to, to refuse to stay in a rut. B is to loose the rudder and C is to hoist the sail. Hoist the sail, and spiritually speaking, it would be to exercise my faith, to hoist my faith, to believe God, to get moving. Why is that? Because the Bible says that faith without works is what? It's dead. You've got to hoist your sail. Step out in faith and believe God. I said we find here in these verses, the first and the second of five steps overcoming a shipwreck the second step is brokenness verses 41 to 44 the surrendered ship started to break up brokenness sometimes we think well if i surrender to god then things are just get you know just so wonderful but when we surrender it leads to brokenness in a good sense brokenness is evidence of true surrender you show me somebody who's not broken, they say they've surrendered to the Lord. I'll show you someone who's lying. When you truly surrender to the Lord, you are broken. Things are broken up. And when I talk about shipwreck, I'm talking about those situations in your life that can just happen out of the blue. You don't know where it comes from. Turn your life upside down. And in that situation, we need to first surrender to God. But it also leads to brokenness when we realize, Lord, I can't do it. But you can. I think many believers resist brokenness for fear of the fact they think God's going to let them drown, spiritually speaking. God's going to let me drown, but you'll never drown. Because God has given you his grace, and grace is a life preserver. Hallelujah. <laughs> it will keep you afloat. I love what James says in James chapter 4, verse 6. He says, but he, that is God, gives more grace. Aren't you glad God gives more grace? Now, a lot of times we sit around and think about, I don't know what I would do in this situation or that situation. And then we find ourselves in that situation. And when we're in that situation, God has gone before us and provided more grace. He's given you the grace that you need for today, but he's got more grace. I'm glad God doesn't run out of grace. Amen. Amen. That he's not low in inventory. Amen. But he gives us more grace. He gives more grace. What do you need today? God says, I can give you more grace. What are you facing today? What shipwreck is in your life? God says, I've got more grace for that. Amen? Amen? His grace is sufficient for us. Therefore, James goes on to say, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace, more grace, to the broken, to the humble. So steps one and two, surrender. Secondly, there's brokenness. Now we move to chapter 28. In chapter 28, we'll see steps 3 and 4 in overcoming a shipwreck. But I want you to read verses 1 to 6 with me. It gets pretty interesting. The Bible says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 28, Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, Luke says, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, 
and laid them on the fire, a viper, a snake came and uh, came and, uh, excuse me, a bundle of snakes, uh, a bundle of snakes, one a bundle, a bundle of sticks. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so the viper jumped out and, and bit him. Amen. And uh, because of the heat, the Bible says, and fastened on his hand. Verse 4. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt he has escaped. This man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Interesting situation here. And here we find steps three and four, I call them, for overcoming a shipwreck. The third step is do not rely on uninformed judgments. When you're shipwrecked, people like to come and give you all kinds of advice. They think they know you, but they don't know you. Just like the people thought they knew Paul, the apostle, but they really didn't know Paul. They didn't know his story. And we do that many times. We watch people on TV and they'll get, you know, into a situation or whatever. We go, mm-hmm, I knew it. <laughs> like if we knew them or something or we know them. We don't know who they are. We don't know their story. People don't know your story. They don't know why you're going through that shipwreck or whatever's going on in your life. But these people, they assume that Paul deserved to be bitten. Amen. There are some people we see, spiritually speaking, have been bitten or suffering a shipwreck. We go, oh, they deserve it. They thought that Paul deserved it. The carnal mind naturally assumes the worst about others. Being obsessed with what did they do rather than what can I do to help. The Bible says those of you who think you are spiritual, finding a brother or sister in a fault, restore that person in a spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Instead of worrying about what did they do, how about, Lord, how can I help? Amen. Even the disciples kind of were guilty of this. They weren't kind of, they were guilty of it. <laughs> In John chapter 9, when they ran across the man that was born blind, they weren't concerned about what can we do to help. They thought, what did he do? Or what did his parents do to cause him to be blind? And I love the Lord's response. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Not that they were sinless, but sin wasn't the cause of his blindness, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. That shipwreck you're going through in your life, it may not be because of something you've done, but because God wants to show you how faithful and how powerful he is. And be glorified through your life. Amen. You see the fickleness of the human mind, the carnal human mind of human opinion. When Paul didn't swell up and drop dead, they declared that he was a god. From zero to hero, back to zero. <laughs> That's human opinion. People like you one day, they hate you the next. It just goes up and down. I feel sorry for anybody who lives their life on the opinion of others. 
The Bible says Jesus did not give himself over to men because he knew their hearts. That our hearts are fickle. And they go up and down. So do not rely on uninformed judgments. People don't know you. God knows you. And thank God. Though the tune of others may change, God's tune toward you never changes. You know, amen. Give him praise and glory. Amen. God's never disgusted with you. God loves you. His opinion about you never changes. No one can measure the depth of God's love. God's tune never changes because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. He changes not. And because he doesn't change, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God's thoughts toward us are thoughts of good and not evil to give us a future and a hope that never change. And it never will change. God loves you. The fourth step in overcoming a shipwreck is discovered here as well in verses 1 to 6. And that has to do with this. Shake off the snake. Shake off the snake. The, the snake, the viper here is representative of satanic accusations, fear, and intimidation. That's what the enemy does. He motivates people through fear, intimidation, accusations. He's the accuser, the Bible says, of the brethren. Spiritually speaking, wherever there is a fire, wherever there is a move of God in the midst of God's people, it'll get too hot for the devil. And he'll jump up and latch on to the instrument that God is using to try to poison the instrument or to poison the work that God is doing in the midst. Watch out for the snakes. And notice Paul's response when the viper latched onto him. It was immediate, quick, and decisive. There's a great lesson there for us. <laughs> Don't negotiate with snakes. <laughs> Something's latched onto you. Shake it off. Shake the snake into the fire. Amen. And what is the fire? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. You came in today, you said, I've been bitten, Pastor Al. Well, I'm here to tell you, take it to Jesus. Amen. Our God is a consuming fire. He's a healer of every snake bite. Amen. He counters the poison that the enemy wants to infect you with. Take it to Jesus. Do not own it. Don't own the poison that the devil is peddling. He said, you're not going to make it. He said, you're disgusting and God's finished with you. He said, there's no hope for you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Amen. Amen. The Bible says, blessed is the man who hopes in God's mercy. You hope in God. See, the people around Paul, they expected him to fall over and die. Maybe there's been people around your life and spiritually speaking, you've been shipwrecked. And they're just sitting around waiting for you to die. They ain't called you or nothing. Mm -hmm. But if your hope is in God, in the promises of God, you shall not die, but you will live. Amen. Amen. You will live. Micah chapter 7, verse 8. I love what it says there. The prophet Micah says, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, 
I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Amen, somebody? Isn't that good? Praise his holy name. Amen. You can be encouraged. You may be shipwrecked today. Not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. But God will be a light to you. Verses 7 to 11. Here we find the final step in overcoming a spiritual shipwreck. Read verse 7 to 11 with me. And it says in verse 7. And in that region there was a. There was an estate. Of the leading citizen of the island. Island of Malta, whose name was Publius, Publius, uh, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of uh, Publius, excuse me, lay sick of a fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to him and prayed. and He laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was Done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. We find the fifth step in overcoming a shipwreck, and that is keep serving. Keep serving the Lord. Paul continued to operate in his gifts and his calling, despite the fact that he was was shipwrecked. And because of his active faith, the gospel came to the isolated island of Malta. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And many were healed, not only spiritually or physically, but spiritually as well. By serving... Continuing to serve, we become a blessing to others. And if you want an answer for you, uh, to be delivered, you want an answer to prayer, the best thing to do is to continue to serve. Because if you sit around looking at your wounds and what you're going through and saying, woe is me, you'll never be healed that way. You'll never be delivered that way. In fact, when you find, if you find yourself going through a difficult time, find somebody you can minister to that may be going through a more difficult time than you. And watch how God gives you his peace and gives you strength and helps you to get through the time you're going through. But sitting around isolated, amen, all the candles lit in the house dark. (laughs) Putting on those old records. They don't even have records anymore. But some of you still got them, amen. Listen to old sad songs on you or whatever. That's not the pathway to healing, amen. If we want to truly have healing ourselves and God to answer our prayer, you know, we need to focus on Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus, it takes the focus off of us. Focus on the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen. And there you will find your healing because as Paul served, God opened a door for his deliverance. Well, where does it say that? Well, verse 11. After three months. After three months. Answer to prayer doesn't always come immediately. After three months, we sailed sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers which had wintered at at the island. The the ship wintered at the island, not the twin brothers. Amen. (laughs) Twin brothers was the figurehead of the ship. And it's interesting here that Paul 
serving the Lord. After three months, prayer, answer to prayer didn't come immediately, but after three months, they found an Alexandrian ship. Now they came, they were, they were shipwrecked in an Alexandrian ship, and now they find another Alexandrian ship there, uh, that is a ship from Alexandria, Egypt, and uh, that had been wintering there. Now here we see the power of God. This ship would take them directly to Rome. And we see the power of God. As Paul kept serving, keep that in mind, he kept serving, God made a way out of no way. How do you get to Rome from Malta? It's in the middle of the ocean. Seemed like it was hopeless. And when Paul was shipwrecked, I don't think God told him that, hey, I've got another ship here that's, that's wintering here, that's heading to Rome. He didn't know that. And it shows us something of the power of God, the faithfulness of God. Paul didn't know that God had provided a way of deliverance before Paul even got there. Oh, what a hope it is for us as believers that you may have encountered a shipwreck, but before you got to the shipwreck in your life, that, that thing in your life, God had prepared a way of deliverance for you even before you got to that place. Amen. Said, I, can't, I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this, but God has gone before you and made a way out of no way. And I don't know what time it was, but maybe after three months, Paul found out there's a ship here going to Rome. Who knew? God knew. Amen. And while he was serving, his deliverance came. And they sailed to Rome. I want to show you something. God is not able to prepare a way of deliverance, but he's sovereign over the means by which he delivers us because it says here that they sailed to rome on this ship with a figurehead and the figurehead of the ship were the twin brothers and according to greek mythology they were known as castor castor and pollux p-o-l-l-u-x they were the sons of zeus and leda mythical gods of the greeks these twin sons were believed to bring good fortune to mariners on the sea. And I look at this, I think, wow, don't tell God what he can't do. God, you can't use that ship. It's dedicated to godlessness. It's dedicated to pagan gods. But God is sovereign over all things. And he can use that which even has been dedicated to the kingdom of darkness for his own divine purpose and his own glory. Amen. Look at God. Don't tell God what he can't do. The devil's not in charge. That's why I don't worry about what's going on in Washington, D.C. I don't worry about what people say about me or say about the church. I don't worry about any of those things because my God is sovereign and he can take which the enemy meant for evil and turn it around and use it for his good and his glory. That's our God. And Paul's faith rested not in the two sons, but in the son of the living God. There's only one, and the name is Jesus. Look at what the Bible says about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, after I read this, ask yourself, why am I worrying? 
Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. Speaking of Jesus, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over the crea- over creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He may have the authority and the power. God is preeminent over COVID. God is preeminent over your unemployment. God is preeminent over whatever you may be facing today. God, amen, is preeminent. Amen. Why are we worried? That's the God I serve. Created all things visible and invisible. That's our God. Amen. Hallelujah. My brother-in-law wrote a song. My brother-in-law who's in heaven now wrote a song. Why worry when you can pray? Why? Because God is preeminent over all things. So we can survive the shipwreck. We need not worry. God has gone before you. He's provided a way of escape. He is preeminent. Sovereign over your shipwreck. Sovereign over whatever weapon is formed against you. That's why it will not prosper. Because God is sovereign. In verses 12 to the end of the chapter, Paul finally arrives to Rome. Hallelujah. I've been waiting for him to get there since chapter 1. <laughs> We're finally there. In verses 12 to 16, I'm just going to go over some of these things. Verses 12 to 16, Luke continues his travel log, and they sail from Malta to Syracuse. That's not New York. (laughs) Syracuse, Sicily. In verse 12, they stay there three days, and then they go from Regium. Regium is located on the toe of modern-day Italy. Next, they travel to Puteoli. Puteoli is 152 miles south of Rome. And finally, they arrive at Rome. At Puteoli, Paul encounters believers in Italy. Shows us how much the gospel is spread from Jerusalem, now all over the world, the known world at that time. The power of God. And he fellowships with them there. In verse 15, the Bible says that when Paul does get to Rome, that he's greeted there by believers who travel as far as a place called Forum, the Forum of Appius. The Forum of Appius was a market town 43 miles south of Rome. And another place they traveled from was a place called Three Inns and is located 33 miles south of Rome. And I share that with you to say, to exp- uh, uh, give you an idea of just how far they traveled, for one thing. I mean, the old commercial used to say back in the 60s, I walk a mile for a camel, but 43 miles for a friend. 33 miles for a friend. They walked to greet Paul when he arrived at Rome. And Paul was greatly encouraged, the Bible tells us, in verse 15, the latter part. And then in verse 16, God continues to bless Paul. Paul was given preferential treatment. The other prisoners were taken to the prison. Paul was given his own private room. Probably because, uh, you know, Julius, the centurion who was over the um, uh, prisoners, probably put a good word in for Paul. He liked Paul. And so Paul has his own room. 
In verses 17 to 22, after being in Rome for three days, Paul calls the leaders of the, the Jewish leaders, the leaders of the Jewish community, probably leaders from the synagogue, together. He wanted to kind of declare to them his innocence, that he was not guilty of a lot of things that he was charged with in Jerusalem, that he was not against the Jewish people or their customs. And in verse 19, if you'll read along with me, after he, he declares that he was actually innocent as far as the Roman government is concerned, but of course, the, the uh, Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem uh, continue to condemn him. He says here, but when the Jews spoke against it, against, against his innocence, he says, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. He said, I not, wasn't throwing Israel under the bus. Verse 20, he says, for this reason, therefore, I have called for you. I've called for you to see you and to speak with you because for the hope of Israel, the hope of Israel, that phrase speaks of the Messianic hope of the Jews, who is the Messiah, and that is Jesus. Because of the hope of Israel, because of the hope of the Messiah, I am bound with this chain. Now, Paul's concerns here are really unfounded. He was worried about something that really never happened because it says in verse 22, then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But here's what they want to know about. We desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, speaking of the Christians, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Amen. So Paul's concerns were unfounded. Um, I was reading the other day this, this, this article that said that basically, you know, 85% of what we worry about never happens. Paul was worried about being rejected by the leadership, the Jewish leadership, but, you know, and, uh, you know, they had not heard anything that, uh, from uh, Jerusalem about him. And, uh, you know, I thought about that, you know, 85% of the things we worry about never happen. So like 85% of what you're worrying about today will never happen. So then how should you spend your day? Some people waste 85% of their lives worrying about things that never happen. What a miserable life. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. Amen. Take no thought of tomorrow. The father knows what you need, but to seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness and all the other things will be added. Live a hundred percent for God today. Amen. One day at a time. And so they wanted to know about this sect, this, these Christians, that's spoken of, evil spoken of everywhere. Sometimes I run into believers who, who say, will say, well, you know, I, man, it have been so cool to live back in the early church. You know, the, those days of the early church and, you know, and all of that. And I, I think about where we are today. And I want to say to them, hey, welcome to the early church. <laughs> They were spoken of evil everywhere. The Christians in that day, I mean, today we're going, oh, we're losing our rights. And they're going, oh, they don't like us anymore. And, you know, our country is turning away from God and all this. And, yeah, we're concerned about it. But, hey, you know what? Look at the early church. Everywhere they were spoken evil of. Welcome to the early church. <laughs> Amen. And you need to have a faith 
like the faith of Job that says, yet though he may slay me, I will serve him or you won't make it today. Because we are entering into a time where the church will be spoken of evil everywhere. We'll become the problem in America. And if you're living to appease people, you won't make it out of the first century. (laughs) Out of the first century church. You won't make it today. And so they were spoken of evil everywhere. Yet, look at our God. The church continued to grow and to prevail. Despite them being spoken of everywhere as being evil. Amen. Thank God for his faithfulness. So we need not be concerned today. Give him praise and glory. Amen. In verses 23 to 24, Paul, uh, actually God's favor on him again. He was appointed a certain day that people could come and meet with him. And he sees the opportunity on that day to to share the gospel. And he spoke from the law of Moses, you know, and the prophets to declare that Jesus indeed was the Christ. And Jesus was the son of God. He's the promised Messiah. And the Bible tells us here that in verse 30, uh, 24, it says, and some were persuaded by the things uh, which were spoken and some disbelieved. Isn't that the way it is? When it comes to the gospel, Jesus said, I did not come to bring you peace. I came to bring a sword. And that sword divides. And some are persuaded and some disbelieve. But there's a reason why many of them disbelieved. As Luke goes on to tell us here in verse 25 and following, he says, So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Not just one word like the, but this one thought. When Paul said the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will, you will hear and not and shall not understand and seeing you shall see and not perceive for the hearts of the, this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand and their hearts, uh, and with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, verse 28, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said the, these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So when Paul said this, you know, two things here, there are two reasons for this great dispute among the Jews. Uh, Number one was, is pride. They were proud. Paul says, you know, you're, you're dull in the heart. And I think that, you know, that, that, that word can be applied even to many in the church today that hearing, we don't hear what God is saying. We come to church and we listen. We don't hear and seeing we don't see. Why? Because our hearts are dull. We have more affection for the world than we have for Jesus. And you can hear sermons at nauseum and not come to the knowledge of the truth. But to these Jews, he used the word, the prophet Isaiah's words, to condemn their pride. pride. What, what do you mean? We're, we're dull. We're the chosen people. What do you mean we're dull? I, I go to Calvary Worship Center. I go to First Prayers. I go to whatever. I've been a Baptist for 1,900 years, whatever. 
but your heart can grow dull. So pride. And the second reason there was great dispute among them was also prejudice. Because when Paul said God's going to take the gospel and salvation to the Gentiles, they didn't want to hear that. They could not stomach the idea that God would embrace these undeserving, godless Gentiles. But that's the nature of the gospel. God saves to the uttermost. And somebody said to the guttermost. The gospel's for all mankind. But in their pride and their arrogance, they were prejudiced against the Gentiles. Both of these spiritual diseases, pride and prejudice, will produce strong delusion which we see in our society today. Pride of who you are, position, prejudice against a person's political view or, or what have you. Or against the color of their skin. Pride and prejudice give birth to strong delusion. You know, sometimes you're watching television and you sit there and you go, this person on television has got nine, nine PhDs. <laughs> they, they, should, they, they know so much of They're a smart person. And yet, what they're saying doesn't make any sense. We live in an age today where common sense is not common. Amen. The, the, I believe when I, came, when I came to Christ, there was still some reasoning around. It was a sign of the age of reasoning. I said age of reasoning because it's back in 1974. Amen. Whole another lifetime ago. But, but it seemed like you could reason with people. You could show them the facts and they go, wow, there is a God. But today, you can show people the facts and they, their attitude is like, don't confuse me with the facts. Here's the sad thing. It's not in the world. It's in the church. And you can share the word of God and say, this is sin. God says he condemns it. And they will disagree with you because they're offended. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, we will, the time will come in the end when many will be offended. And it happens in the house of God. That we are offended by the word of God when it's declared. Sad. And so you can reason with people. People don't want to reason. They don't care what your reason is. They don't care what makes sense. Because of pride and prejudice, they're given over to strong delusion. And Paul warned of this in the last days, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. He talked about the fact that because mankind has rejected the love of God, God gave them over to strong delusion. Stop throwing things at the TV set. When you hear people saying these foolish things on television. Because they're delusional. Understand the times that we're living in the age of strong delusion. Pray for people. We're living in a time where we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit more than ever before. Because nobody can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them. Your argument and your education is not enough. It takes the power of God. Amen? Amen. Praise his name. I shared this with the guys the other day, our, some of our staff, pastors, and interns. I said, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said, our gospel is not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. 
If your faith doesn't contain those, you've got to question whether you're walking in faith. The gospel is not just a bunch of words and knowledge. It's not just cool arguments. The gospel of Jesus Christ is power. Not in word only. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen. And it is in much assurance in what God has done for me. That's the gospel. Not just in words. Little speeches. But in the power of God. Amen. In verses 30 and 31, we will close out chapter 28. Hallelujah. (laughs) Then Paul dwelt two years, two whole years, in his own rented house. Didn't just have an apartment, he had a house. And received all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no one forbidding him. Wow. Paul had been stoned, run out of town, and here he is in this house in Rome, freely declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at God. In fact, we know that Paul, many believe that from this place in Rome, this confinement in Rome, that he penned the, what is called the prison epistles. That is the book of Colossians, the letter of Philemon, the book of Ephesians, and the book of Philippians. Paul was confined, but not his message. And no matter what legislation is passed today, no matter what equality acts are passed or what have you, I'm here to tell you that the message of the gospel cannot be confined. The Bible says the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. So they might fire you from your job and they might do all these things and put all kinds of regulations on you, but it will not keep down the gospel of Jesus Christ because you can't do anything about the love of God. Amen. God's love. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. The gospel continues to go around the world. Praise his name. Well, Paul was there for two years, and some people may ask, well, what happened to Paul after that? Well, many believe, and church tradition and historians tell us that he was more likely released from confinement there, and he continued his ministry through Macedonia, um, Eastern Europe, and and into uh, Achaia, Achaia being the ancient name for Greece, and he ended up in Spain, and they believe he was rearrested, transported back to Rome, and in Rome, some believe he was, he, was, he was executed, either beheaded or run through with a sword. But he was martyred in Rome uh, around 64 A.D. That's the Apostle Paul. We'll see him in heaven. Amen. The conclusion of the matter today is that the acts of the, of the church did not end with Acts chapter 28, but it continues to this day. In fact, you are the acts You are the book, the continuation of the book of Acts. And God is still moving. The same God we see mentioned in the book of Acts is still moving today. What is God doing in your life? What do you expect God to do in your life today? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And so whether you are facing a storm or a shipwreck, in Christ, you will prevail. Just as the church prevailed in the book of Acts. God is still on the move. Amen. 
Let me leave you with this verse. Many of you are very familiar with it. It is Romans 8, 28, regardless of what you're facing today, that all things work together for good. All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So you can rejoice. Amen. You can rejoice. You can say with Paul, I'm down, but I'm not out. Amen. My God will make a way out of no way. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. And I pray, Father, that as we go into our time of communion, Lord, you would bless our time. There may be someone here today or watching online, watching on television who has never given their life to Jesus Christ. And they're in a storm they're in way over their heads. And they've come to the realization that only God is the way out. I pray, Father, that you would touch their hearts right now. You would let them know, Father, that through faith in Jesus Christ, their sins can be forgiven. Through faith in Jesus Christ, they can be made a brand new person. Through faith in Jesus Christ, they can prevail. For you are preeminent over all things. If you're watching online or television, or if you're here in this auditorium today or up in the overflow, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't know that your sins are forgiven. That's drawing your way to heaven. You can know today. By simply praying this prayer, repeating this prayer after me, bowing your head where you are right now, no matter where that is, and saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for all of my sins, and I believe that you are risen from the dead. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Make me a brand new person. In Jesus' name. Amen.